Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode five of the Retro Conflict podcast, the RetconCast. I'm your host, Phil, and we got a double feature of games for y'all today. I'm really excited for this one because um, I got to team back up with my buddy Ryan Pendergast, and we got to talk about two games that are very much related, um, but they're in the same part of the world, and they're sort of against the same uh, opponent in terms of uh, who you're playing against. They're both solitaire games, I should say, as well. But uh, one of them is going to be Invasion Afghanistan, a solitaire game uh, that takes place in the late 70s and then into the 80s and sort of shows how the Soviet Union got involved in uh, Afghanistan and uh, trying to influence what was going on there, both politically and militarily, and how that went. And then um, the other game that we're looking at is Operation Enduring Freedom, and that fast-forwards to the early 2000s, where the United States-led coalition is sort of now in Afghanistan trying to influence things. And um, both of the games, obviously, uh, have a lot to, you know, sort of... Both of these games are somewhat related, but uh, they are set up differently. And so me and Ryan talked about how these games are sort of different in scale and different in the mechanics um, and just different in the uh, objectives and stuff like that. So it, it, was, it was really a lot of fun for me um, to talk about this. I personally um, am very interested in this conflict from the, um, the earlier one, the 70s and 80s Soviet side one. Um, it's just one that I never learned about when I was in school. I didn't learn about until I was in my like mid to late 20s. And so um, I think because of that, it's always been really interesting to me um, to sort of study and read about it. Now, both of these games were in Modern War Magazine from Strategy and Tactics Press. Um, I believe you can find them pretty pretty readily available. I've seen them on uh, several of the more popular gaming websites. So just look there if you are interested in picking up a copy of either of these games after you hear the podcast. Um, I hope you will be interested in picking up at least one and hopefully both of these games because I think they're a lot of fun. Um, they're designed for solitaire play, so that works out really well right now. Um, and so not only are they fun to play, but I, I think you'll learn a lot about the countries and groups that were fighting in these wars and uh, sort of just the political interplay that was going on as well. I know I did. I always enjoy the articles that come in the magazine as well, and um, I certainly learned a lot. So without further ado, uh, let me get right to it. Here is my interview with Ryan Pendergast about Operation Enduring Freedom and Invasion Afghanistan. All right, so joining me right now, Ryan Pendergast. Uh, the guest so nice, we had to have him back twice. Ryan, uh, you were here for the initial uh, podcast that I did for when we talked about Target Libya, and I had so much fun talking to you, man, and uh, I just absolutely had to get you back on uh, for these two games. So first, just thank you so much for coming back on. No, thanks, Bill. I appreciate it. Dude, no problem. So uh, before we get too much into the nitty gritty, uh, I, I just wanted to know uh, what you've what you've had on your table lately or if you've had time to game. What have you been doing? I, you know, I haven't played as much as I'd like to. What I have set up now, it's been set up for three weeks and I haven't started, is uh, Munich War, which is uh, Joe Miranda's design of uh, what if war had broken out in Europe, if, 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 the, uh, if the appeasement hadn't happened in 1938. Uh, about the Sudetenland and if, if war kicked off. So uh, I'm really anxious to get that one started. So hopefully this weekend. Dude, you and me like all the same games. Like I just saw this one on Noble Night and I've been doing a lot of like reading from this era. It's funny because right. So when I started this whole project, I was like, here's my I'm 1980 to 2000. And I'm sure if anybody's been following, they've been noticing I'm, I'm really sort of blowing up that timeline. Like hey, you're I, back I, 500. Yeah, yeah. I'm like <laughs> five, yeah. Well, you know what, though? I'm about to mess it up completely because so it's my birthday uh, tomorrow as we're recording this. 
And um, my wife, my sister, and my sister's boyfriend are indulging me because uh, they're very kind, but they do not like these games in general. But they're going to indulge me, and we're going to play a four-person game of 1982's Dawn Patrol. Wow. Yes. And I could go, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to spoil it because I have a lot I want to say about Dawn Patrol. I will just, this is sort of a teaser to the next thing I do, but I have literally been waiting for 20 something years to play this game and I will explain why <laughs> later. But so anyway, so yeah, so I, but, but where I'm going with this is I'm getting older and older anyway. It's with the games I'm playing. <laughs> so um, we got some games that are focusing on conflict within Afghanistan in two different time areas. And what's really neat about this one is I've played one of these games and you've played one of these games and we both really like these games and we both really like the game designer, Joe Miranda. Um, so both of these games came out of Modern War Magazine. Um, I think uh, Operation During Freedom was number 30. And then uh, I've got it. It's somewhere in the 20s for Invasion Afghanistan. So I'm just going to uh, I'm just going to start with Invasion Afghanistan. And that is the one that starts in 1979. And it sort of looks at the uh, initial Soviet raid uh, on Afghanistan and then talks obviously about them dealing with the uh, the problem of the the uh, what, Mujahide, I never say that word. I never say it right. But the the extremist fighters there and they suddenly realized that they had kicked up a hornet's nest that they really were not prepared to deal with tactically operationally strictly like on any level they were not prepared for what they got into and what is so interesting to me is that phrase hornet's nest is how i feel when i play this game because one of the mechanics in this game is anytime you end your movement of a force group so you would have like you know maybe some mechanized infantry or maybe some special forces or something anytime you move these guys and you end your movement if you end your space in an empty square basically unless there is only the only way this doesn't happen is if just soviet forces are there any other time you end a movement in a square whether there's mixed forces or no forces you roll and a bunch of enemies suddenly show up and so every time you're doing something you are just getting swarmed with uh these uh well depending on depending on who it is it could be everything from cia operatives to fighters coming over the border to just the uh the various clans there in afghanistan how does operation enduring freedom handle that aspect of dealing with an enemy that you know is there but you don't really know where they are well, and this is probably a good time to jump in and explain these are both solitaire games these are both solitaire games yes yeah um so it's a it's an interesting, similar but different mechanic. Um, and so you, the, the board is basically covered at the beginning. And so you have the Northern Alliance, you have the Taliban, um, and they're sort of spread across the entire map. And you can only, um, I, you can identify Taliban by using like intelligence assets, like drones or, you know, but the, the Northern Alliance, only by putting like your, your CIA jawbreaker teams on the ground, can you go and actually bring the, identify them and, and bring them over. And, uh, and then the whole time that you're doing this, in the background, there's something called the Jihad Index, which sort of uh, is a measurement of, of how uh, aggressively the Taliban is, is continuing to resist you. And so as that, as that escalates, they again they sort of like what you're describing sort of just pop up everywhere here and there and everywhere and it could be a spot that, uh, part of the country that you're in or it could be a part of the reinforced country part of the country you're not in um so it's just it's it's when you talk about the hornet's nest that feels very familiar because it just it's a sensation of like there's so much you have to do and you just clearly do not have enough resources to do that and that's the other neat thing about the system is that the, the game actually penalizes you 
for coming in with a heavy footprint. I guess this must be the Rumsfeld rule, right? Like they don't want, like you have enough resource points to bring in all of these heavy, you know, you bring in an armored brigade, but it costs you in victory points in the end. And so you're constantly weighing these decisions. And so you, it's, it just, there's so much to do and just not enough to do everything you need to do with. A hundred percent. And so, so we, we, we've talked previously about how we play solitaire and, and these solitaire games to me uh, live up to the axiom of what, what's a good game. And uh, I, I'm not the, I'm not the guy who's going to debate what's a game, what's a strategic simulation. I'm not that dude, but what it does to me, it sort of goes right to the core. A game is a series of interesting decisions and, and uh, the invasion of Afghanistan is loaded with them. And just to your point about what you were saying about not having enough resources. So the way it works, and in this game, you're, you just played the Soviet, well, I guess Soviet and Afghanistan, the native Afghanistan, the Soviet friendly Afghanistan. The DRA, yeah. Thank you, DR. That's the acronym I could not come up with, the DRA. It, you, you, could, you can potentially run yourself right out of the game if, because you can spend as many, as many operations as you want to spend a morale point on. There's no limit on what you can do up until the point where you run out of morale points and then you lose the game. And the way that it sort of calculates it is obviously it looks at the, the forces on the board and, and what strong points you're holding as the Soviet forces. But something really interesting happens. As, the, as your morale drops and you have less, op, less things to do, like less, the morale is your currency, for lack of a better word. The morale is your currency for doing stuff on the board. As your morale gets lower, the Soviet command will make you pull more random events chits. It's the idea of this war is going poorly. We should add more things to it. So you can pull bad or good stuff, but most of the things you pull from the Soviet are fairly helpful. However, once, you're, once you finally start to claw out, like let's say you get your morale back up to like seven, eight, nine, you go back down to only one chit a game. And so instead of looking down and you have like an extra airstrike and two extra uh, turns that are, are moves that turn, you've got nothing or something that doesn't help you at all. And it's again, it's so the opposite of that is, oh, this war is going fine. We don't need to commit any more resources to it. And it's, you can never get the help you need when you need, when it. And you that, need it. Yeah. And that's, and that's, so, and I'll tell you when I, the first time I pick up a game, um, I, I'll play like the, the, the I don't know how uh, Enduring Freedom comes, but there's like five or six scenarios, which is great for a magazine game. And I have to tell you, I played the two turn scenario, which was 70, 79, 80. And I won, but just barely. And a lot of times when I play a magazine game, my first time I'm like, that's good. And I'll put it away. And I'll, I'll, I'll usually come back to it, especially if I like it. As soon as I got done, I was just like, nope, I'm just going straight in. I'm going to keep playing all the way to 85. And then I got, I got doused. I got doused. But um, how, your initial playthrough with Enduring Freedom, did, you, did it stick to you right away? Yeah. So, it, yes, absolutely. And uh, this is one of those games I think I played four or five times back to back. Oh, nice. Uh, after I played it the first time. And then I busted this out about a month ago before I knew you and I were even going to talk about this. Uh, just I was looking for something quick to play. And, uh, and, and again, played it twice in one evening, just all the way through. And so it's uh, just... And that's the thing. Sorry, I'm going to cut you... Because that's the thing. Once you know the rules for this... And again, this is a credit to Joe. Th this game flies once you know the yeah. rules to it. They're, 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 I'd say they're fairly... Late. I had a couple of rules questions um, in mind in... Uh, uh, invasion of Afghanistan, but once I got them down, dude, you can fly through a turn in like five minutes. Well, talk talk about that for a second because um, in in invasion of Afghanistan, they're one year turns. Yes, they're one year. Are they not? So, what's how's the time scale work then for freedom? It, it's sort of very, it's fuzzy and variable. So, like, okay. you're, it's like two weeks per turn initially, and then that, by the time you get to the winter months, it's like two months per turn, oh. and then it comes, and then you kind of come out of that as the weather improves. 
Um, so it's it's sort of variable and abstract, but it, you know, it's, so but you kind of wrap your head around like a brigade doing something over the course of a month. I mean, how how does the, how do the mechanics work with like a brigade doing? Well, how does that work for over the course oh, of a year? Oh no, okay. So I and I so I'm going to tell you this. I am that guy that. I picked up a copy of a book called Desert Storm. Frank Chadwick wrote it for uh, GDW. Oh, the fact book. Thank you, the fact book. And I was like, oh, this is for like, this is for like, you know, someone who's very new to this. And then I suddenly realized, I was like, I don't really know the classification system. I've been playing war games for three years and I don't really know the difference between it. So uh, this is, I'm, I'm getting to the point here. I had to like learn it. I realized I didn't know. So this game is actually at like the... I think, want to say there's one counter that's like, uh, in uh, like uh, what's four what's four X's? Uh, that's an army. There's one. Okay, so there's army. one counter for an army. Army, I army group or no? That's army. Army four. Yeah. Army. Yeah. Uh, army. Uh, look, I'm pulling. I'm gonna pull this up right now. I've got the card. Yeah. Okay. So it's div it's divisions. Okay. No, I'm totally wrong on this. It is, it's divisions all the way. I'm double checking. That's two X's, right, Ryan? Yeah, division, yeah. Okay, I'm so sorry. I, I, I just lied now. It's divisions all the way, but there is one. I know there is one army or one, tr uh, whatever is in between a division and an army for the next one. That would be a... The core, core of NATO. Yeah. I think there's one core. So, so I'm sorry. So this would be set up a division. So, oh, so how to explain it? Now I know how to explain it because you can move each unit any number of times you want. That's how it works. It, you can, but now you have to pay a different time. But the only, so for, let me, for example, let me sort of run this through. Let's say you had your stack of like two or three divisions. You move it, you do an attack, you're, you, you t let's say you clear it all out and, and um, now you're about to make your next operation. You can take that entire stack and do something else with them. The only force that you can't do multiple things with is like the spets no spetsnaz you can do it's more like it's like if you have like the airborne groups like the larger airborne groups that aren't special forces and i guess that's to sort of talk about um how much coordination that would require so i think does that sort of like would that make sense then like for so the it's more about sort of exerting influence and control than it is about like it, it, it's not representing battle to battle to battle it's more about sort of what what is the impact you're having sort of on the strategic picture I, I would say so, yes. And this, and people may be rolling their eyes because th this is the guy who just a minute ago got uh, armies and brigades confused, but whatever. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm serious. Like, I think that that's a good way to say it because this, the way you win this game is the victory conditions are, well, first off, don't run out of morale points, but the conditions are strictly at the end of this turn, hold this many towns, this many cities, and this many resource points. It is strictly projecting your influence on these areas has nothing to do with like like you were saying like um going battle to battle or anything like anything like your dead pile doesn't count for anything that's for that's yeah. for certain yeah. which is funny because and I, I considered adding this game in but i think i'm gonna do it separately have you ever played mike force yes okay well mike force which is a joe miranda solitaire game which is united states special forces in vietnam your dead pile does count for something there, but that's a, that's a, that's one for another one. But yeah, so, so basically that's what, like what you were saying, you're, you're holding those areas. Um, but so it, with enduring freedom, is it not so much like holding controlling area? It's point to point, right? It's point to point it, movement. It, it, it's, well, yeah, it's point to point, I guess not area movement. Um, and, uh, but it, it feels more like, 
a battle because you know that within this say two week time period that I've got Taliban forces that are holed up in Mazar-e Sharif and uh, and I've got Pakistani irregular forces that are joining them and I'm bringing in uh, General Dostum's forces and here's my CIA team and now I'm bringing in Delta Force and I'm I, you know and I've got swarms of drones overhead and here comes some B-52s and so it, it it's a much more uh, it, it kind of nitty gritty I think than sort of the, the high level picture that you're describing there. But um, but otherwise, I think that mechanically it sounds the same, and and I think it's a, and that's what I just love about Joe Miranda designs is that he does such a good job of like what you talked about earlier, making a game that's fun, like you want to engage with it. The system draws you in, but there's all this Chrome stuff just sprinkled all over the top of it, and it just, and you feel like you're making the same kind of decisions, and you're front confronting the same types of challenges that you would have had to deal with uh, in 2001, and so it just. It, it just it's a really great game it, not a simulation at all but it, it man it is a great game i think it's so in, i guess i didn't realize that there was that big of like a time uh time and scale well i guess i shouldn't say scale because it's like like we we're saying it's either it's sort of point to pointy but like the time difference and that they both work and they have they do have those similar mechanics um what was your like unit that when you saw it on the counter sheet you were like i can't wait to punch this out and play with it that I means there's an Osama bin Laden counter, so you can like go after Osama bin Laden. So, oh, I, mean, I didn't. I don't even know why I didn't think about. Of course, that's in the game. So, how does that work? Um, so he 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 fights really well. He's got like a lot of I mean, a lot of strength to represent um, the the concentration of forces around him. You've got the uh, individual six of the individual Northern Alliance commanders that are actually named and pictured on the counters. Oh, really? Um, like not just like so? Does it look like the old like like? Well, I know it was the deck of cards was Iraq, but but sort of similar to that. Like it has it like like very similar to that. Yeah, um, and then the same thing with Taliban leaders. And so uh, it, it, that was what I, I think when I first opened this up, I was kind of surprised to see that in here that it got kind of kind of there because I. I don't know. There was a big controversy back in the 1990s when there was a game called uh, I Am Spartacus that was put out. And what was controversial about it is they showed a bunch of people that had been crucified. Okay, I can imagine. Okay, okay. Oh, you know what? I've seen this counter. Yes. Okay. So anyway, that's kind of how I felt when I first opened this up and I saw there was an Osama counter. I was like, man, I... But within within the game, it really works. And the leaders play such an important part. And and uh, the pursuit of the leaders and trying to kind of coordinate things. And it, and it enables the, the Taliban and the Al-Qaeda forces to do different things based upon where those leaders are. So it, it's, it's really an integral part of the game. So, um, and, and of course, you know, it's a Joe Miranda design. So there's lots of chits that come up. And so you're constantly, you know, it's kind of like what you talked about with the random events. Well, and so I was, I'm looking through the real rules. I had completely forgotten because as you're describing this chit, I'm like, wasn't there an Osama bin Laden counter in this game too? And it is, and it gives it, uh, it, it pumps up the resistance morale when you pull it. That's, so it, that's it, interesting. It's yeah. For you. So he's, he makes an appearance even back in 1979, potentially. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. This for me, the, when I, so, okay. I, I've talked a lot about this in the podcast I've done where everyone has certain either um, events or memories or machines that get them really excited just because you just like the way they look or you like, you know, and so for me, uh, I'll be honest, what sold me on this game was as soon as I saw the cover, I was like, oh, that's a Heine gunship. I love oh. <laughs> how ugly and big those gunships look. And the gunships are here, but here's what's so cool about the gunship counters work really neat. So first of all, the, the reason that I ended up going from my first two-turn like intro, the first scenario it gives you up into the larger one, I think I went to 84, was because 
and this is again, I love games that teach you something I didn't know. Th those gunships weren't being used um, for tactical support up until 81. And so the game models that. So you can use the helicopters as, no, I don't think you can use them because you can, in the game, once you get to 81 at least, you can use helicopters either like how you use bombers, which is where you call in an airstrike, you try to roll under whatever the rating is, and then it goes into the used pile. Or you can commit it to your ground force and make it a ground force. So it's, I think it's sort of the idea of it's like, is this sort of like a strategic strike or is this like tactical interdiction? And you can, it, you can use those to like beef up a ground force. Um, and when I saw that I had those like hind counters, I was like, oh, this is, I cannot wait. I have to keep, I didn't realize I wasn't going to get to play with it until I read the special rules for the scenario. And I was like, well, I better get through 70 and 80. And as soon as I get to 81, I can bust out these sweet gunships. Well, and a KGB counter too, right? Yes. Okay. And the KGB, what is the, I've got the rules here. The KGB counter does, thought this is the DRA, da, 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 da. Oh, I thought there was, there's an, there's the CIA. The CIA one is obviously when you pull that, then all of a sudden uh, you start, once the CIA counter has been pulled, like it releases a whole bunch of uh, heavily armed counters into the random pull, a random uh, chip pool. And basically it's what you'd expect. You, you might get your, you might get your hind gunship shot down with a stinger missile. I thought there was a KGB. I know there was. There's... Yeah, they're called a security. It looks like a security brigade is what they're calling it. Okay. Oh, oh, for that. Yes. So this. Okay. So here's what's interesting about the security brigade. My bad. I was looking in the wrong spot. I was looking at the random chip pulls. Here's the neat thing about the security brigades. So when the game starts, you get a bunch of forces and their security brigades, which are, D, which are DR, maybe they're, no, they couldn't be DRA. So there's security brigades and then there's like the DRA's infantry and tank forces and you will lose almost all of the infantry and tank before the game even starts because you have to roll to see if they leave. When the, and not only that, they're, they're cheap, right? So you, can, you, you sort of end up robbing Peter to pay Paul. It costs like half a point to recruit one of those infantry um, divisions or, or brigades, whatever they are, but uh, you're almost guaranteed to lose it in uh, just desertion in the next turn. And the security brigades are so useful in the game because they're the one cheap force you can buy that will not desert. And they also, they do something, they do something on the board. I wanted to say, oh, oh, they, they have a very high, so the way battles work in the game, and I'm curious to see if this is how Enduring Freedom works. So tell me after the, the you basically line up all the counters and who gets to go first is who has like the higher, I forget what they call it. They don't call it a terror rating, but it's like, it's basically a tactical rating. And so like the security forces get to go much earlier than a lot of the other cheap units. How does the, how do the battles work in Enduring Freedom? So similar to that, I think it's, um, it's called Tactical Edge. Tactical so, Edge, that's it, yeah. Okay, it's the same thing. So yeah, and it, and it works kind of the same way to where um, for the Al-Qaeda and Taliban, it's the leaders which give you the bonus. Um, and it looks like terrorist units as well. And then for the, for the United States player, it's, it's your special operations guys to give you the advantage. And so <clears throat> that's why it's so important to kind of keep all these in, in play. Um, Do, in Enduring in, Freedom, with the exception of, because there's, there's one time in uh, Invasion of Afghanistan, there's a random chit you can pull where the forces on the board will move. But other than that, they never move. Does anything move in Enduring Freedom in terms of like... Yes. Okay. Oh, really? Yes. Oops. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a, there's a chit you can draw where they will actually, uh, like the Taliban forces will move to attack. So, like if you're in an adjacent territory or something, they'll move over and attack. Um, what's neat and, and at the same time kind of frustrating is they won't attack... 
um, your Northern Alliance people that you have not made contact with yet. And so what's bad about that is like, you can just barely be getting a campaign started and then all of a sudden you get swarmed from all sides because they don't bother the other Northern Alliance guys. They go bother only the Northern Alliance guys where the Americans are. And so you can- Oh, I, that is a very neat factor. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's so much fun. And, um, and, and, and it's, it, it's one of those games, like you said earlier about it sort of helps you understand history. And this helps you understand history because you understand why the campaign played out the way that it did. Why, you know, why was the Shaikat Valley so important? You know, why did Operation Anaconda happen? And what, you know, why do they talk about Tora Bora? And like, it, you, you now understand all of that because you see how the terrain really dictates um, what you can and cannot do and what a critical role that plays. Um, so and, and not only terrain specifically, and um, I am, I'm not always like Mr. Point to Point or Area Movement. I tend to like, like my Hex Encounter stuff. But it makes sense for this game because it's such an inhospitable country. Yeah. And so having this point to point makes sense because, and you're, you're using a lot of airlifts uh, or air mobile units uh, in uh, Invasion of Afghanistan as well. But like it, you, you get, you realize like how hard it is. And for me, as somebody who grew up when, like, so I was in, like call, like late high school or, or, well, I was in middle school when September 11th happened. But so then obviously like that sort of like sets my age for when all this happened. So you, I was hearing all of these town and city names like Kandahar and stuff like that. And I, but I had no idea. And it just, uh, I always go off my, my nerdy little teacher moment. But to me, I wish, I don't know if I would have liked to play the game when I was that age, but like, I wish I'd seen a map then. So I could have just at least understood like, like you were saying, this is why this area is important because it's essentially a highway that runs right through the middle of this country yeah. that's mountainous and has terrible weather and stuff like one that. One highway for the whole country, one ring highway for the entire country. Yeah. So so straight, and it, it just it was just so crazy to like see these towns. I was like, oh yeah, like I I've, how many times have I like in the background growing up heard that town said over a news report or a radio report or something like that. So. Um, but what's really, sorry, go ahead. Well, I just want to say, in reinforcing the thing about it being such an austere environment to operate in, <laughs> another reason why you don't want to bring in your armored brigades or your air mobile units, because once you have forces in country, you have to sustain them. And so th this game requires you to set up four operating bases, basically to do anything. Uh, uh, special operations don't require them necessarily, but everything else really does. And so if you want to bring in helicopter gunships or you know, even an infantry unit, okay, now you've got to bring in engineers and the engineers have to construct roads and then the roads have to construct a forward operating base. And then, you know, and it's just, and then once you have the forward operating base established, like <laughs> it basically can't really support anything outside of that one area. So you're, you're really kind of confined and then you're suffering all these supply penalties. And so it just, you, you really understand how difficult this was and why the campaign kind of played out the way that it did historically. And so for the supply in Invasion of Afghanistan, it works similarly. You do have to build bases, but the game, well, maybe it wouldn't trick a more savvy player, but it sort of tricked me. So you, you can, for the first like couple of years, you're fine. You're not even going to need to build a base. You can just trade supply. You'll be good. But then what quickly starts happening because of the way these guys randomly pop up is your supply lines get blocked. And what can happen if you're not careful is you can get, you can get a, if you get overextended, like you get into the middle of the country or even far like south, you yeah. can find yourself in a bind really fast because of how they, the forces will pop, pop up as you move. And so um, I, I, I didn't have too many issues with it, but I think I just got lucky 
because you could definitely have some problems. Um, and then you can try the game sort of models the way that you would handle the um, outside forces. So outside forces being like um, Pakistan, uh, Iran, and the CIA is y you can try to you can try to sort of like get into their supply lines. It sort of handles it off map, but it's such a pain. It's like a super investment that ends up not really being worth, or for me at least in my situation was not really worth it. Yeah. Um, talk just a little bit about the 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 the, the, the as as the game sort of like develops and goes on. Um, what ends up being the the different challenges through because so where I'm, initially when I first started when I did this short scenario, the the challenge is just speed, right? Like you have to get like four of like it's kind of a fun game to, to play for your first one because you're just going nuts. It's just you have to go so fast. But then in the as you extend the game out for Invasion of Afghanistan, it becomes less a game of crazy attack and much more a game of resource management. Um, does the time scale for Enduring Freedom allow for that? Or how, does, how did it feel to you? If it was exactly what you just said. It's, it, because the deeper you get into it, it's, you need to bring in more stuff. And the more stuff you bring in, the more you have to support. And the more stuff you have to support, the more bases you require. And the more bases you require, like it just, it, 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 it just snowballs. And, so, and, and everything that you're deploying to the map, it's costing you victory points. And so you're constantly weighing this. It's like, I know that by, by March 2002, I have to have this conquered. But if I do that, it's going to cost me this many victory points to get, you know, two more brigades in here, whatever it is. And it's just, so you're constantly just making those types of decisions. Or, and you also have to choose, like, you have these, um, uh, they're called asset markers that you, you sort of expend each turn. And then you can recruit new asset markers. And there's ISR satellites, basically drones, and then sort of info war and intelligence gathering. And you, so, and you never know exactly what you're going to get. You know, sometimes you end up with all drones, which are useful for doing attacks. And sometimes you end up with the, the ISR assets, which are useful for sort of revealing all these concealed units. Um, and then your info war markers kind of help you influence that jihad track to try to drive that down. Because, you know, as, as, as they, as you drive them out of cities, the jihad track goes down, but as they regain those cities because they pop up behind you, it goes back up and then they become aggressive and start attacking you again. And so, like I said, it's just you're all, all the stuff you're trying to manage and you know that if you bring in more stuff to help you do it. In fact, if you pull in the historical forces, what was actually used historically, I don't think you can win this game. I don't think you can even accomplish like the moderate victory because it's really? the penalties for... I think that's true. I think somebody else mentioned that on, I don't remember, BGG or Constant, but um, yeah, if you bring in, it's just, it's just, it's so much, there's so much assets there. It, yeah, you, you know, the, the system's just going to penalize you for being that heavy. And so it's a, it's, it's a challenge for sure. You're, you're constantly weighing all these decisions back and forth. Well, and, and there's this play between like committing, committing the forces you want, like you were just saying, committing the, the, the boots on the ground that you want to do stuff with your, um, with your well in this game it's morale because there's a chit you can pull i just pulled up it's the national reconciliation chit and when you pull this if there if there are no soviet divisions in afghanistan you get a bonus but if there is any soviet forces and that would be like not dear like specifically like ussr forces you get a penalty and so it's sort of that you pull it and you it's this gamble of okay can i make this work with the Afghanistan forces I've got like can I start to pull can I start to pull out 
you know, but because because you can't just rush back in because it'll like kill you on the, the the way the chit is structured. And I, and so I go ahead. Well, as you can say, that, and so that's very similar to this game because ideally, if, if for this campaign to play out, I for you to um, whatever the maximum victory is, it, the Northern Alliance has to win this war for you. And it's you bring in the American drones, you bring in the American air assets. But if you keep a very, very light footprint and you have the CIA and some special forces guys and they're working with the Northern Alliance and you have the Northern Alliance doing everything and the dice are going your way, you can win this supreme victory. But man, it's tough to do that. And then kind of like we were talking about earlier, like if you start to get a couple turns in and it's not going as fast as you need it to, then you've got to start bringing in the heavier stuff. And But but to your point, like that's, you, you've got to leverage the Northern Alliance because that's really who's got to win this war in order for you to achieve the victory that you need to achieve. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, I, I really like the way these two games are playing off each other. I'm going to have to get, I have it in my want list because I, I, I'm going to have to play this game because I feel like it, it, um, I sort of tend to like to be more zoomed in. Um, this is the, uh, this is definitely a little bit more zoomed out than um, I guess my preferred like uh, scale would be uh, for, for Invasion of Afghanistan. I sort of like the idea of getting, getting zoomed in on this battle and getting to use, I love the tech, like the tech you're describing, like the satellites and the net yes. war, like all oh, that sounds like it's so much fun to mess with. It is. Yeah. Did you, do you have any um, like supplemental reading that you picked up when you were playing this game? Like, was there any like books that you, that you grabbed or, or maybe um, just the article in the magazine itself? Uh, the, the article in the magazine is excellent um, for this one. And I almost, I would say it's required reading because there's a, there's one particular invent in here called uh, the airlift of evil. And I'd never heard of that before, but apparently that was in the midst of, there was a, like a ceasefire declared and a, and a, a corridor that we agreed to with Pakistan where they were going to apparently fly out some Pakistani refugees. And what they ended up doing was the, the Pakistani ISI was actually flying out a bunch of Al Qaeda guys. Um, and that happened in like October, November of 2001. So that's one of the events that came up in here. And I kept wondering, what is this? I don't even understand why it's representing. And why is this good? Because all these guys are just disappearing off the map. But what it does is it robs you then of those victory points because those leaders are gone and you, you know, you can't get the victory points for capturing them. So I, I think the, uh, the magazine article was excellent. Um, I, I went back and reread uh, Jawbreaker by Gary Bernson, who was the second uh, CIA commander in, in Afghanistan. Um, and then I picked up a book uh, recently, I think it was only published in the UK, and it's just called Operation Enduring Freedom, but it was a really a fine overview of really from the beginning, say October of 2001, up and through probably late 2003, and just, uh, there's a lot of stuff in there that I hadn't fully understood before, so it was definitely worth the read. So I need to, the, the reason I was asking about that, and with the zoomed in factor of, of your, your game's obviously a little t tighter in scale, there was a book that I picked up that I sort of flipped through and read and I found it at Sabres out here for like two bucks. I could not believe I found a paper copy of it. It's The Bear Went Over the Mountain by Lester Grau. And it's so cool because um, it is as zoomed as you can get. I mean, it is a it is a literally just a discussion of tactical events at like the squad level that happened. And so yes. it sort of filled a... Um, filled a gap for me because as you were mentioning in invasion of Afghanistan, we're, we're talking one year turns, we're, we're, we're dealing in sort of big picture stuff. The whole game runs like 11 years if you play the full game. And this sort of gave me my uh, tactical fix, my sort of zoomed in, like what was actually happening in these individual battles and stuff. And it was, it's, it's a very interesting read and you don't have to be like, you don't have to be like super into military tactics, I think to 
sort of appreciate reading this, you can just read it and be like, wow, that sounds like it was a complete snafu or that was so interesting how that the, the, this mission was executed. Like just really, really interesting. There, there's another book that, um, I, that he's attached to, but it, and it takes more of a, like a strategic look. I'm trying to remember, it's on my bookshelf and I cannot think of the name of it. Uh, is it called like the something in the jackal? It might be called like the bear in the. Anyways, it, it, that, that's a more zoomed up. But this was that book. I would recommend to anybody that wants to learn more about that. And what's crazy is one of the blurbs on the bear went over the mountain is by one of the American commanders, and he's like, "Yeah, we read this book like cover to cover before we went in in 01. And that's why I feel like I have to discuss these games as a piece because uh, I think that this. So as a kid who went through public school in Texas, which is crazy because like the public school I went to, we were in Char uh, Charlie Wilson's district uh, who played a big, what? yeah, we were in, we were like, and, and I didn't know who Charlie Wilson was until, or maybe we were, maybe we were like one, con one district over from his, because like, he was in Nacogdoches, but um, I had no idea who he was until I was in like my early twenties. And then I had never heard of, about the Soviet war in Afghanistan. I think it had been going on, you know, I, I, eventually I sort of figured out like, oh, this kind of played out previously. Not to say the conflicts are exactly the same. They're not exactly the same. But I feel like looking at these two games together, you can sort of see where the United States did learn and then some areas where it's like, you know what? We, the, the Soviets tried this and it didn't work either. Um, did, I, I just sort of really enjoy that interplay between the two eras. For sure. Yeah. Graveyard of Empires, for sure. And uh, yeah. Man, still um, yeah, I know, I know. Well, I think you know what? I think that's like all of the all of the hot spots I wanted to get out. Anything else you wanted to add on Operation Enduring Freedom? It's I I got I mean, I've really just got to shell out the like 25 30 bucks and pick it up. Yeah, no, it's I highly recommend it. I think it's a ton of fun. It's a great solitaire game and just uh and and it plays really quick. I mean, you can probably play a whole game in 2 hours and so uh I just highly recommend it for sure. Yeah, yeah same. Yeah, and the other thing, well, last time we talked, we talked about Target Libya, which was sort of like a hidden gem. Yes. And, and we, we talked about all the good things about the game, but there was a lot of butts there. Sure. I don't really have any butts with Enduring Freedom. Like it, it plays super clean out of the box. Like it just, it, it's just a great game. No, you're, and you know what? And, and, and there are no, there's no butts on this one either for, for Invasion of Afghanistan, man. Like this is a game. I, I have, I, I've got some games that I buy and I play them once and I'm like, nah, like this was cool. I learned something, but I probably won't put this down. Like I have picked up and put that game down multiple times. I'm going to put it down. That, that, will, that one will never go off of my shelf. And part of it is because like, I do find that part that those years of Russian military history exciting. I like the gunships. I like all that. I think it's interesting, but it's also because it's such a fun game. The, the rules are are right there they're very laid out if you've played it's maybe not your first war game but if you've ever played any sort of solitaire magazine or any magazine game before or any solitaire game before you will figure it out there's no like mechanics i think that will throw anybody or anything like that and so it's it's a it's a must-have for me and like you just in the speed of the game once you get those rules down you you can do a you could do a game and even if you had to like stop and go you know rake some leaves or something in the middle like you could knock out a game in the weekend you could definitely do it 
Awesome. Brian. Yeah, great. I'm yeah, dude, thank you so much for taking time to talk to talk to me about this one. Uh, I always enjoy having you on, man. And uh, I think that at some point we may have to get together and talk about the the, uh, it's not like an official trilogy, but uh, Mike, Mike Forrest. We're going to have to sit down and talk about Mike Forrest because that's a game where not only do you have static uh, terrorist units, but there's some that move and are constantly heading towards you. And um, it sort of does some things that neither of these games do, but also I feel like, you know, takes a, takes a lot uh, of direction that these games do as well. So we'll have to have you back to talk about that one as well. And, and you, yeah, and you like it and I don't. So that'll be a good oh, one to talk about. That, oh, this was, so wait a minute. Are we going to have our, our Miranda breakup? I think so. I okay. Think so. Okay. Cool. Cool. So we could. I. I. Dude. I'll, I'll be happy to have you back to talk about that. Ryan Pendergast. Thank you so much for taking time, man. Just want to say thanks to Ryan Pendergast one more time. Um, the guy really knows his stuff, both in terms of war gaming and history in general. And um, it's always so much fun just to sit down on Zoom and and talk with him. And so I appreciate him taking time. And I wanted to share uh just a little personal story. And uh, I hope that you guys will enjoy it um i know that this is coming out around halloween but we're getting into the thanksgiving you know part of the year and uh, i mentioned in the podcast that we were going to play dawn patrol for my birthday uh around the end of october and this is just sort of along the lines of being thankful as we go into thanksgiving so uh i'm not really going to post anything about the dawn patrol game because it was an absolute wreck it was just such a disaster um i it was the wrong type of game to try to play with three people who really weren't into it. And then what happened was uh, my son just did not want to go to bed. And so we were like, well, let's let him stay up. And uh, he sort of really wanted to play the game. And as you know, Dawn Patrol is not really uh, conducive to four-year-olds. It's definitely just like a little bit above their uh, ability level. <laughs> and just as it was going on, it was just like sort of falling apart. And I was like kind of getting frustrated. I was like, oh man, I'd really wanted to do this. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, my son uh, took his hand and moved like two of the planes that were on the board and just goes, pew, 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 I got you, I got you. And it was just the best moment of the entire night. It was just, I just busted out laughing and it was sort of just a natural way for us to all sort of laugh and be like, okay, cool. You know what? We gave this a shot. It really isn't working. Uh but that was an adorable moment, and um, it just made me think about how thankful I am to, one, have people close to me that are so sweet and so willing to even try to do this. Um, I don't think I'll put them through that anytime, ag <laughs> anytime again, but also just how thankful I am for my son and my family. And, you know, At the end of the day, I got a bookshelf full of these games, and my true hope is that one day when uh, my son gets older, he wants to play these games with me and go pew pew and shoot down planes. And you know what? If he doesn't, that's cool, too. We'll do what he wants to do. That's the whole point. But um, he just had so much fun completely messing up all the pieces on the board. And I was just like, you know what? This is this is literally the most fun that anyone's had all night is just watching him go pew, pew, pew with these little biplane counters. So um, take time to take time to find something to be thankful for, whether it's in your hobby or with your family or in your life. I know things are stressful out there, but there's always those there's always those little moments that make you remember what's really important. All right, that's enough sappy stuff for me. Uh, real quickly, I do want to let you know what I'm up to. I'm going to be working on some more Desert Storm stuff. I have uh, a Desert Storm game by Thomas Hansa on the table right now. Um, so that will be up sometime in November. And then I also pre-ordered, it hasn't shipped yet. I'm hoping it'll ship here pretty soon because I see that some people are actually getting their copies. Um, 
1918-1919 game from GMT. It's sort of a repackaging of uh, the original game that came out in Command Magazine. And uh, I'm excited to try it because I don't have any World War One games. And this one looks like it's going to be a lot of fun to play solo. And um, it also looks like it might not be too hard to try to um, teach somebody else to play. Although we'll see if I'm... Well, I don't know if I'm getting back on that saddle again anytime soon. <laughs> At least not with any newbies. We'll see. But um, anyways, uh, I shouldn't say that. You know what? If I could find... If there's a newbie who wants to play any game with me, I'll play it. I shouldn't be... I shouldn't be sitting here rolling my eyes, especially since uh, gaming opponents are few and far between right now. So anyways, um, thank you guys for listening, and I will talk to you in probably about a month.